0: Good evening, it's about time for us to begin. So if you will, find a seat. Don't see any visitors, but if you are visiting with us, we're glad to have you with us. You're our guests. We will sing a couple of songs, uh, we'll have the reading and the prayer, Mike Williams will take care of that, another song, a lesson, invitation song, and uh, then Closing song, closing prayer, and Thomas will have the closing prayer. We're singing about heaven tonight. Stand up and let's sing number six hundred twenty-seven if it's convenient for you. Sing all three verses. <clears throat> I'm in the way. Th- Songs, number 169. 169.
1: scripture reading uh, this evening chris has selected comes from second timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and seventeen. 2 timothy 3 16 and 17 all scripture is inspired by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness so that the man of god may be adequate equipped for every good work let's go to god in prayer Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Lord, thanking you so much for the many blessings that you give us each and every day. We thank you for this first day of the week, Father, that we can be together to worship you, to sing praises to you. We thank you for the ability to do so, for the freedoms that we enjoy, Father, that we can gather without fear of persecution. Father, we thank you for the the beautiful weather that you've given us today and this time of the year and the changing of the seasons and Father, most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus, for the hope that we have through him, through the act of going to the cross, for his death, burial, and resurrection, and we thank you for that, for your plan of salvation, Father. Father, we are mindful of so many of our number that are dealing with various health issues, those that are unable to be here, and, and those that are here that are still dealing with health issues and, and challenges, and we ask your blessings and Prayers for them, healing for them, Father. Pray that you will continue to be with Friday, Father, and Jim Martin and Carolyn Olin, and be with Jimmy as he has an upcoming appointment, Father, and um, just so many others, Charlie and Roger and our shut-ins, and and Father, we are mindful of so many prayers that have been answered, and we thank you for those answered prayers and that you hear our prayers, and we thank you for this opportunity that we can come to you and and bring our request to you we know you hear our our prayers and and know our needs father and we thank you for that and and father we just ask your blessings upon our time here this evening that things that are said and done will be pleasing to you and and that um, as Chris brings our lesson that that will be good listeners and and that we'll continue to to try to to be better bible students and and take what we hear and Apply that to our lives so that others will see uh, the hope that we have, Father, and they'll come to know you. Father, we pray for our community, pray for our nation, pray for our world, Father, pray for the conflicts that are currently ongoing, we pray for peace, that you'll be with those people that are in the midst of, of war, and and just be with them and help them, Father. And and Father, again, we thank you for all that you do for us. Forgive us when we do fall short. It's Through Jesus we pray these things. Amen.
0: If you use the songbook, our uh, song of invitation will be number 336. 336. And our song before the lesson will be number 684. This world is not my home. If you will stand again.
2: This world is not mine.
3: good to see each one of you with us tonight. Um, I feel like apologetics is something that, uh, I don't know, I I love the study of apologetics. I enjoy it. I know not everyone does Um, and I I try to stay um, aware of that fact that that's not everyone's cup of tea. I think it's important. That's one of the reasons I like to study is because I think it's important. Um, Just when you think that issues like this have been settled for a generation, just wait. And it seems to come back around, doesn't it, with all the questions that are being asked and, and, and questions like this, are, are there contradictions in Scripture? Questions like that seem to, once we think they're, they've been solved, they come right back up and we need to talk through these issues again. So if you'll bear with me tonight, I know you know these things and I hope that uh, maybe some of the things that we talk about tonight will be um, enlightening for you. Uh, maybe they'll help you come at it from a different perspective. Maybe some of these things you've never heard before, and, and, and this will be all, all new to you, and, that, and that's great and wonderful. Um, and maybe it's a refresher. But like I said, I think so much of this is important for us to just grapple with. Tonight, after you, after you go home, I, I want you to Google something You don't hear that very often, but I want you to go Google, are there contradictions in Scripture? Or contradictions in Scripture? And you're going to find a plethora of alleged contradictions in Scripture. Um, A lot of them, it's going to look like the person that's making, that has found this contradiction, has never read Scripture um, because my children could answer the contradiction. What, what's so ironic with a lot of these contradictions, alleged contradictions, is um, the people alleging these contradictions will point the finger at us and say, we don't know our Bible, we, we've never read our Bible, or certainly we would have noticed these contradictions. The ironic fact is, we read our Bibles, and so we know the history, or we know some of the things we're going to talk about tonight that they've missed out on, so maybe this is uh, more a lesson that you can share with other people. Some of these things that we'll talk about tonight maybe will be helpful for you as you encounter people uh, that want to talk through this because I think it's coming more and more now. Uh, we live in a post-Christian world, period. Um, end statement. this We're here. It's not coming. Um, our, our parents' America is gone 21st century, 2023, American Christianity, we live in a post-Christian world. Um, His values, God's values, are no longer sought after, are they? Um, The things that, that we have always held dear no longer seem to matter to the world. A book that we've proven to be inspired generation after generation after generation is questioned once again. A God who has been proven generation after generation after generation is still questioned today. And it, it's only getting worse. These, these questions aren't, aren't dying out for whatever reason. It seems, like we said earlier, once you answer these questions, a new generation rises up and, and they, don't, they don't know the answers to the questions. Um, so they ask the question all over again. So we, we have to deal with this. Like it, love it, or hate it, this is something that's important. So tonight we're going to deal with some of these alleged contradictions in Scripture. I've got, I don't know, five or six, seven uh, different categories. Um, Most of these contradictions will fall into a category uh, that we're talking about tonight. There are no, hear me, I know you know this, but hear me, there are no contradictions in Scripture. God breathed out this book. It is perfect. As it was written in the original autographs, the original manuscripts are perfect. We don't have access to them anymore. They're gone. Um, you, you can't find any of those anywhere. You'll find some very old-looking manuscripts, and they are very, very, very old manuscripts, uh, but they're from 4th, 5th, 6th centuries. So they are copies of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. The amazing thing is how well the text has been translated, how well it's been passed down after all of these different iterations Every time it's copied, it's copied by hand, right? I mean the, the printing press didn't come till much, much later. The ones that are 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 from the fourth, fifth, sixth centuries, these that we still have, we still have massive blocks from those ancient manuscripts were all copied by hand. And so the 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 amazing thing to me is that they're they're so perfect. I think God had a hand in protecting his infallible scriptures. Um, so these are things that we have to talk about. But we're going to go through uh, some different categories. Um, first of one being... Now it'll work. <laughs> you got to turn it on. So when you go through, when you find what you think might be a contradiction, um, there's a couple things you need to think through ...before you jump the gun. I guess first thing we need to think about is... ...what actually is a contradiction? Um, w. Stanley Javon tra- uh, defined a trad- uh, contradiction like this. Nothing can both be and not be. In his elementary lessons in logic, that's, that's how he defines a contradiction. Nothing can both be and not be at the exact same time. Aristotle is even more significant or is, is even more specific when he says that the same thing should be at the same time both be and not be for the same purpose and in the same respect is impossible. He's right. That's the definition of a contradiction. The same thing considered in the same way at the same time cannot both be and not be at the same time. It's impossible. That that is a very very good definition of a contradiction so maybe we need an illustration to help us think it through this a door cannot both be open and closed at the same time right that that would be a contradiction a door can't be both open and closed at the same time but are we talking about the same door right so if I if if we were pointing at this door and we say that door is closed but that door is open, then it is true. A door both can be closed and open, right? (coughs) What if we were talking about this door being open, but it was at a different time, right? That wouldn't be a contradiction, would it? Because that door was open. Three hours ago, somebody opened that door and walked through it or walked out of it, right? So it was open, but now it's closed. So we have to be talking about the exact same person, place, or thing, and at the exact same time, for this to be a contradiction. Let's, let's go through some examples. I don't, I don't know that you have to turn to all of these. Some of these you're going to want to turn to, I, I think, because you may not know the story as well. But some of them you're probably going to know the story pretty well, so we can, we can just talk about it. In Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, um, Herod has James beheaded. He kills James. But in Acts chapter 15, chronologically, historically speaking, a couple years after the events of Acts chapter 12, James is speaking and a leader in the church. So there's a contradiction, right? Well, If you know your Bible, you're shaking your head, that's not a contradiction. I've read my Bible. I know that the James that was beheaded in Acts chapter 12 is John's brother, right? He's one of the apostles. And the James that's speaking in Acts chapter 15 is Jesus' half-brother. He's not an apostle. It's a different James. James is a pretty common name in the New Testament. And these are two separate Jameses. Now, you may be sitting in your seat thinking, well, that's silly. Of course they're two separate Jameses, right? This is really one of the passages I found as I was Googling. Because I did what I asked you to do this week. Just go through and Google contradictions in the bible this is one of the ones that came up ones like this are ones the ones that come up all the time things like this that are so simply proven to be not a contradiction come up all the time and people will make a really strong case for it atheists will make a really strong case for this being a contradiction and they're going to shout And they're going to use a lot of fancy words, man. They're going to use a lot of rhetoric, lot of these big words. and They're going to make you feel awfully stupid for buying into Scripture. They're going to tell you, well, haven't you read your Bible? James dies in Acts 12. He's still talking in Acts chapter 15. Of course there's a contradiction. Well, maybe you need to go back and read your Bible because there's two separate Jameses being considered here. Genesis 6 is another example, very similar uh, thing here because we're talking in categories, right? One of the things that you'll find uh, with this particular topic, with with alleged contradictions, um, is they're they're going to throw out a hundred or five hundred or a thousand verses, and they're going to rely on the simple weight of the verses, the simple simple number of verses to overwhelm you. See, I have irrevocable proof that the Bible has contradictions. Otherwise, there's no way I could have thrown out 500 verses, right? Well, all 500 of them are like this. They're very simply disproved. You just got to take the time to walk through them. But I I found that a lot, that people will, atheists will, people trying to prove their point that the Bible has contradictions, will throw out just verse after verse after verse after verse. And as you read through them, you think, there's no contradiction here. You've made a straw man, and you're attacking it and tearing it down, but you've you've not made a very good argument. Genesis 6 is another one of these, I mean, they're silly, honestly. When you compare Genesis 6 with Joshua 3, how much did the ark weigh? So Genesis 6 will describe the ark for us. Uh, He says it's, so, so many feet, uh, it's 450 feet long, it's 75 feet wide, it's 45 feet tall. It would have weighed several tons um, when fully weighted, when fully loaded. There's no way a couple of priests could have carried the Ark of the Covenant. Really true. I've heard that argument online. You know that's not true though, don't you? Because you know your Bible. Genesis 6 talking, is talking about Noah's Ark. Joshua 3, the one that, that they're carrying, is the Ark of the Covenant, right? They're both called an Ark, but they're two separate arks. right? And so, like we say, atheists will just throw out all these verses, and it's going to look like, oh man, maybe, maybe I do need to question my faith. Maybe there is something to these contradictions in Scripture. But all of the ones that they throw out are like this. Very simply disproven. All you have to do is read your Bible and, and know it a little bit, um, and and you'll come to the same conclusion that I've come to. You can't question this book. It, it is infallible. Uh, God really did write this book. That's the passage that uh, that Mike read for you tonight. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. God breathed out Scripture. These are His words. They're, they're not the apostles' words. He used the apostles as um, a conduit to get his words, his message out. And he even used their vocabulary. Like you'll find Luke uh, using more medical terms and more specific terms than any of the other gospel writers. You'll find Peter sometimes using fishing terms. You'll find Paul using logical terms. That's that's these guys' vocabulary. That's what they grew up with. It's what they're comfortable with. God uses their vocabulary, but the words are His. The words are inspired. Every word is inspired. Every word's important. Every word is His. And so you're not going to find mistakes or contradictions in them. He wrote it. Let's walk through some more categories. So is the same time reference under consideration. Did these things happen at the exact same time? In Genesis 1, verse 31, I know you know this passage, God looks at the world after having created it, and he said everything was good, right? In Genesis 6, though, he looks out and he do you remember how he puts it? He regrets that he had created everything. Well, there's a contradiction. Is it good or is it not? Is it good or is it evil? All all the world's evil and every thought of man's evil, is it good or is it evil? Well, you're looking at two separate time periods, aren't you? In Genesis 1, it's right after the creation. Man has not fallen yet. Sin has not happened in the garden yet. Everything is good. He created everything good. It's perfect. In Genesis 6, it's moments before the flood when the thought of every man was evil all the time and God regretted making mankind. So you're looking at two separate time periods, aren't you? Separated by who knows how many uh, years. So is the same time period under, under uh, consideration here. In Genesis 6, like we say, you, you find these all the time. And, and they're so simple to refute. You just kind of ignore the weight, the amount of the verses these guys throw out. And, and really take some time and, and just sit with Scripture and, and read through the stories. And, and all their arguments fall to pieces. Um, I I know this is an elementary lesson, and I wanted to start here. Uh, We'll probably come back to uh, apologetic stuff in in the coming months. Um, But I wanted to do this elementary lesson here just to kind of get us all on the same page. So uh, Genesis 6 verse 9 says, Noah was a just man. He's righteous. He's holy. He is a good, godly man. 921 says he's a drunk. So which is it? There's a contradiction, right? You can't be both a good godly man and a drunk, right? So, which is, obviously, this is a contradiction, right? Genesis 9 happens moments after the flood has ended. Everyone's dead. The world has changed. Noah finally gets off the ark and gets to spend a little bit of time and has made some very bad decisions, Is he still a just man? Yeah. If this is an isolated incident, which seems like it is, is he still a just man? Yeah. Do you sin? Yeah. Do I sin? Yeah. Are are we still justified? Yeah. Thanks to the blood of Christ. He can still be a just man and have made mistakes, still have sinned. But we're not looking at the exact same time period here. In fact, we're looking at but Genesis 6, 9. Uh, this, we're looking at least several weeks to a couple years, right, of difference here between Genesis 6 and Genesis 9. And what's happened? Unimaginable. None of us have ever gone through what Noah's gone through. So was he a just man or was he a drunk man? Well, he's both. Because the same time period, it's not being. Considered. You see how easy this is? This isn't hard. Um, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be able to disprove these contradictions in Scripture. You just need a little bit of time. You need your Bible, and you need an open mind. Um, sometimes the, these atheists that are proposing these alleged contradictions, they're going to come to Scripture, and do you know what their mind is already like? They're, they're closed off already, aren't they? they? They're trying to disprove it. They're looking for holes, and they don't really care if the holes are legitimate or not. They have such hatred um, for, for God, for Scripture, that they're okay blurring the lines of what's legitimate and what's not. So, don't have to be all that, that brilliant to be able to disprove these things. Just a little bit of time with your Bible, we'll, we'll take care of it for you. Let's go on. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Are the verses talking about the same thing in the same sense? Remember our door illustration. The door is both open and closed. So that door at six twenty nine today can't both be open and closed, can it? That would be that would be ludicrous. But what if I said there was an open door for us to for evangelism? that door can be closed but the open door for evangelism can be just as wide as possible isn't it i think it is <laughs> i think we do have an open door for evangelism right now in our community i think is the perfect time to strike but are the verses talked about the same thing in the same sense you may, you may want to dig into this one philippians chapter uh, 3 it's not any more difficult than the other ones you probably just it's not a story so you probably don't know, this, you're not as familiar with this one as, as you may be with some of the other ones, but you need to see it because this stuff seems pervasive. Uh, it seems like more people are buying into, um, into this idea that the Bible's not perfect, that's not infallible, more and more every day. So we need to, we need to arm ourselves to be ready to, to deal with some of these things that our world's throwing out at us. All right. Philippians chapter. I must have messed up my verses. All right. Sorry. There, there's a verse in Philippians where Paul says um, that he's um, that he's 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 perfect. But then the other verse in uh, Philippians 315 says that he's uh, he, he's not yet made it to perfection. He's not He's not perfect. So is he perfect or is he not perfect? You have to go back and Google those verses for me. Sorry about that. But so is he perfect or is he not perfect? Well, there's two different ways that Scripture uses perfect, aren't there? There's a perfect as in the sense that Jesus was perfect, sinlessly perfect. Paul says, I- I'm not there. I haven't attained to that mark yet, and I, it ain't looking good. I'm not going to make it, you know. I'm not going to be able to be sinlessly perfect. But that's not the only way the Bible talks about and uses the word perfect, is it? It's not just sinlessly perfect. It also means mature. So Paul says, I've grown up inside of Christ. I'm, I, I'm Whether he's an old man or not, by this point, I'm an old man in the faith. My, my faith is settled. It's mature. Um, I, I'm able to teach others. I've matured. I'm not. A, I'm not a young guy. I'm not given to flights of fancy. I'm not able to be tossed to and fro. Right. That's what he's going to say to the Ephesians. But I, I'm mature. So, which is it? Is Paul perfect? Well, no. He's not sinlessly perfect, but he is. He is mature. <clears throat> Excuse me. In Matthew chapter 11 uh, is another uh, instance like this, <clears throat> where uh, the The scribes, I believe it is. Let me get back to my notes here. In Matthew 11, Jesus refers to John the Baptist as Elijah. Yet, when John is asked who he is in in the first chapter of John the Evangelist's, John the Apostle's book, when they ask him, when the scribes and the Pharisees ask John who he is, their question is, Are you Elijah? Do you remember what he says? Nope, not Elijah. Well, isn't that a contradiction? Jesus says he was. John says he's not. So what's going on here? Well, John knows that the, the sense in which that the scribes and the Pharisees are asking if he's Elijah is, is he literally Elijah? Is he Elijah reincarnated? Like, they, first century Jews would have believed in reincarnation. Um, and so is he Elijah reborn. Is he John, but inside Elijah? Is that how it works? And John says, nah, that's not how it works. I'm not Elijah reborn. I'm not him. Don't don't go down that road thinking that way because that's not true. I'm not Elijah. But Jesus in Matthew eleven fourteen 14 says he is Elijah. So what sense is he Elijah? Well, his job is the exact same as Elijah's job was to call people back to call them to repentance, to tell them what they're doing is sinful and that there's a Savior who wants to pull them toward himself. In that sense, he is Elijah. And that's just being fair with Scripture. You do that all the time, don't you? You, you use words, we all do, that mean different things in different senses, don't we? Like the open door of evangelism. It's not literally an open door, but it is an open door. Paul would say, Jesus would say, the Bible would say, would use that that sense, that logic on multiple occasions. And it's one of the big things that uh, our atheist friends will, will throw at us and try to disprove uh, Scripture. But now you know that you need to look through this. Are all the verses talking about the same thing in the exact same sense? Here's another one you need to Think through uh, extra details. Don't mean that it's a contradiction. Um, in Matthew, in Mark, chapter six, <clears throat> verse forty-four, says that Jesus fed about five thousand men. But Matthew fourteen, verse twenty-one, says that there were about five thousand men, women, and children there. So, so which one's right? Well. Did Jesus feed 5,000 men? Yeah, he did. Well, that makes Mark right. Did he also feed the women and children? Yep. Well, that makes Matthew right. So extra details don't mean that there's a contradiction. Here's another one in Matthew chapter 27, uh, verses 57 through 60. You'll find Joseph of Arimathea. You remember Joseph of Arimathea, right? He's the guy that takes Jesus' body at great personal risk and buries his body in Joseph's tomb, right? You remember him. Uh, but then in John 19, we find out that Nicodemus was there too. So is that a contradiction? Of course not. For whatever reason, Matthew just doesn't record that Nicodemus was there. John records that both men did this thing. It's not a contradiction. It's extra material uh, that, that Scripture wants to, to bear out there for us. Last one, and then we'll get into some specifics. Um, we got to look who's talking. The Bible is inspired, but not every word in it is truth. Sit with that for a second. The Bible's inspired, but not every word in it is truth. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God says, If Eve, Adam, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will, you remember? Die. You will die if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, they hear, If you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not surely die. Who's saying that? Who says you shall not surely die? His words are recorded truly in Scripture. That's what he said. It's a historical reference to what he said. But what he said was false. Everybody with me now? Satan said those words. The father of lies, right? So God records faithfully... Truthfully, his words, but his words are not truth. Everybody with me? No burning at the stake later. <laughs> I believe every word is inspired, but there are some people whose accounts, whose thoughts, whose statements have been recorded historically and truthfully for us that those people were not sp- saying true things. Satan is a good example. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, this is where the Pharisees accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan. That's in Scripture. Is that true? Well, no, it's not. He, he wasn't casting out demons by this power of Satan, was he? And, and he goes on to prove that that would be idiocy. But it is in Scripture. And so our atheist friends will point to verses like these two, these two specifically, but verses like these, and say, well, there you have it. it it's obviously a contradiction. Well, no, it's not a contradiction. You just got to look at who's, who's doing the talking. Is that someone that we trust? Is that someone who is inspired? Or is that Satan? <laughs> is that someone who doesn't know what they're talking about? All right. You'll find, incidentally, uh, you'll find uh, lots of references like that in Job. Um, Job's three friends are not inspired. Those guys will say things to him that are not true. They're trying to help, I think, maybe, if you squint a little bit. They're trying to help, but what they do is actually quite harmful to him. Uh, they come at it from this closed-minded perspective of, uh, since bad things are happening to you, you must have sinned. And you see that even in the New Testament. Uh Jesus is about to heal a guy, and, and the apostles say, "Well, who who sinned that this man, or or his parents, that this was done to him?" Jesus, Jesus clears up that that uh, controversy there. But there's, so there's some stuff in Job. The book is inspired, and it records some stuff in there that said by Job's three friends specifically that is not true. Everybody with me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> If you're not with me, talk to me afterwards. <laughs> okay. So you got to look at who's talking. Let, let me very quickly go through um maybe one or two of these specific alleged contradictions. Um in Mark chapter 27, sorry, Matthew chapter 27, um, and Mark chapter 15, verse 32, both in uh, sorry, I don't have time to go through that one. Let's let's skip down to Matthew 12. Um, in Matthew 12, 40, Jesus said he would be dead for three days and three nights. Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 17, verse 23, uh, says that uh, he will rise on the third day. So is, is he going to be dead for three days and three nights or, or just like more like two and a half days? Which one is it? Well, Americans are really the first culture that has been really big sticklers on time. Uh, and you find this in the rest of the world, even today, um, they will view a, a part of the day as the whole day. And you do it too. We do it too, don't we? Um, I've been at work all day, right? I've been at school all day, right, guys? We, we do this too. Uh, and, and that's something like what Jesus is doing here. Um, but let, me, let me walk you through some of these verses just to show, because this is, this is a big one um, that people are going to use. Uh, against us to show that the Bible has contradictions and it. it just doesn't in Genesis chapter 7 verse 12 you may want to take a, a picture of these these passages and they help disprove this this thought but Genesis 7:12 says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights Genesis 7:17 7, says it only rained for 40 days so which is it well to a Jew if something took up part of a day it could be considered to have happened to have taken up the entire day let me give you an example. This guy's name is Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah. He's around the time of John. He, he lives around A.D. 100. He says this, A day and a night are an onah. It's, an ona is a portion of time. And the portion of an ona is as the whole. Meaning that something that happened during a 24-hour period could be considered to have taken up the whole day. If it just happens during a five-hour period of the day, it could, it could be considered to have taken up the whole day. Um, 2 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 5, Rehoboam, remember when Rehoboam takes over the kingdom from Solomon, he, he throws out a mandate to the people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise taxes, and they say, oh, I don't know about that. He, uh, he considers it for three days. 2 Chronicles 10, 5, he tells them to come back after three days of him deliberating, and he'll tell them what he's going to do about the taxes. 2 Chronicles 10, verse 12, says that the people showed up on the third day. So they understood. It wasn't the fourth day. It wasn't after the three days had been completed. They showed up on the third day. So things like that. There's, there's other verses that would play into that. 1 Samuel 30 being one of those verses. But I think you get the picture. Um, so Jesus meant the same thing. Uh, when, when he's talking about being raised from the dead... Um, it's not necessarily three days and three nights. It happened on the third day. Here's the final thing. very quickly we need to we need to talk about just for a second. Um, copyists errors, these are legitimate, um, not contradictions because they're not in the original manuscript, right? Like we said earlier, I know that this may be a little hefty uh, for some of us, but the, the original manuscripts, Pinned by Paul and James and Jude and the apostles and, and, and Moses and Daniel and Ezekiel and all the, all the Old Testament guys. All this is, is true for everybody. Um, but as they pinned those things, those were God's words, right? Wr- written down through the pen of man, through the mind of man. They, they were His words. And so every word was perfect. Every word was exactly the word that He wanted to use to convey His thought. Okay? When people found out that those books, that those letters were um, inspired, that they were important, like if Paul writes something, what do you do? Oh, man, I need to make a copy of that. I'm going to send it down the road to this other church that needs to hear this exact same thing. That's exactly what these guys did. They even have scribes. We find in the New Testament some of the scribes, the Jewish scribes, some of those guys come to faith. Their job, all they did was looking through Scripture... And they would write exactly word for word on the next papyrus everything that this text said. That was their job, and they were extraordinarily good at it. Um, you do find every now and then, and I'll show you a couple of them, times when these copyists and and, and subsequent over the over the years uh, copyists would make a mistake, and so we have. Some of those preserved for us. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 8, you, you may want to turn there real quick. Um, if you've got uh, if your Bibles with you. 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 8, uh, he says, he's talking about Jehoiachin. And what we're really looking at is when Jehoiachin, this, this king, the last king of Israel, when, at what age did he take over? At what age was he? Was he appointed king? 2 Kings 24 verse 8 says, Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king. So hold, hold your spot there and flip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles 36. You'll see this one quite a bit too. Comes up several times in those uh, the searches you're going to do. Later, 2 Chronicles 36, verse 9. Some translations, like my, my ESV has, has, has changed this because they've done the study and they know it's right, right? But m- some of the other translations may not have changed it. I know they haven't changed it. Uh, in verse 9, it says, Jehoiachin was, some translations say, 8 years old. And you'll probably see like a little letter there beside 8 or 18, whatever your translation says. Jehoiachin was 8 years old when he became king. So which was it? Was he 8 or was he 18? And that little note there indicates to you that if you follow it down to the bottom that, that some manuscripts have 8 or 18 or, or whatever it is. But if you go back and you do your homework, Jehoiachin was, um, was making war um, and he was, um, how to put this delicately, delicately, accepting the pillages of war. <laughs> uh, so uh, as far as uh, women were concerned, he's not 8 when he does that. Um, he's 18 and we know that right Um, just from common sense we know that here's the thing a lot of these scribal errors a lot of the copyist errors are uh, numbers a lot of times it happens with numbers simply because like in Hebrew the 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 difference between 8 and 18 is like a comma (laughs) so the scribe just missed the comma or he missed a letter or a portion of uh, the way the drawn out letter making that eight instead of eighteen, but we can go back through the text and find the truth. If you read through the text, you'll find that verse in Ezekiel. It's uh, if you're taking notes, it's Ezekiel 19, verses five through nine. Pictures him as killing men and taking their widows. Eight-year-olds don't do that. Eighteen-year-olds can do that. Um, so, what I want you to see about this this whole thing, though, this copious errors. They only comprise something like 1% of all the supposed contradictions in Scripture. So like there's 10 or 12 of them. There's there's not many of these things running around. Like we said, these guys are extraordinarily good at their jobs. uh, And they have faithfully, I think, thanks to God's providence, transmitted His Word almost exactly as it was in the original. And so we have them to thank for, for that. So, bring it all down. I think that this will, these, these, these kinds of topics, um, these apologetic in nature type topics, Christian evidences type topics, I think we're, we're going to see and need them um, more as we progress, as our culture moves farther and farther away from God, as people demand that they just want to do what they want to do, you know, uh, as, as our selfishness runs amok. People are going to push back against God and His Word and His values, and at the end of the day, they're just going to say, "I don't, I don't want to do what He wants me to do. I want to do what I want to do because I'm the king. I'm the king of my life. Uh, I, I have, I have deified myself, and I'm in charge. And I'm going to do, I'll do what I please." As that mindset becomes more and more prevalent in our culture, and it will become more and more prevalent in our culture, as it does so we're going to need to focus in more and more on this kind of thoughts because there's an awful lot of people out there who have bought into this mindset who can be talked out of it, who should be talked out of it. God's people just need to stand up and be better equipped to do so, to be more courageous to do so. And so... I know tonight hasn't been very evangelistic in its in its nature, but if you're struggling and you need the prayers of this church, we would love to pray with you and for you. Uh, maybe tonight you, you have the need for baptism to have your sins washed away and become a brand new creation in His sight. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Is it for me, dear?
4: Good evening Turk family. A couple announcements before we are dismissed. Um, as a reminder that Trunk or Treat is this Saturday at 6 o'clock. Also next Sunday is Potluck. We'll have uh, no 6 o'clock service. Our service will be at 1 o'clock. November 1st uh, is Stepping Stone Supper. Mexicans on the menu. Uh, that is at 5.30. Also the Fort Hill Youth Rally is November 3rd and 4th. Um, Kyle Butt will be the guest speaker for that. Um, remember, um, Brianna Lambert, uh, that's Dean's granddaughter. Uh, she needs her prayers at this time. Um, also, uh, Joanne Kessick uh, passed away in her sleep uh, this week. Um, she's a member of Greasy Ridge Church of Christ, so keep that family, the Kessick family, in your prayers at this time. Uh, remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgis, Jim Haney. Jim Martin and Chuck Davidson in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatment. Uh, keep Tim Hewitt's, good to see him here with us this evening. Uh, Mary, to keep uh, Marvin Jordan in your prayers and Carolyn Olin and Friday Simpson in your prayers this week. And also, remember to continue to keep Peg and Roger and Charlie and Alice in your prayers at this time. That's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll
0: sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Sing the first verse of 225 Heaven Holds All to Me.
4: Please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for letting us come here today to learn more about you and to worship you, Lord. Thank you for this day you've given us, and thank you for all the blessings within it, Lord. Please just help us stay true to your word, and please just let it guide us in all that we do. And please just help us evangelize throughout our walk, Lord, and bring others closer to you. and. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.